Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com for weekly updates about my podcasts, events, and more. Also, follow me on Instagram at zibbyowens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And finally, join my virtual book club called Zibby's Virtual Book Club, which meets every other Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time until 3 p.m. and features half an hour of book club discussion, followed by 30 minutes of Q&A with the author whose book we've just discussed. You can sign up on my website, zibbyowens.com, under the virtual book club section, or even on Instagram under the link in my bio. I hope you'll find me in all these different channels and enjoy this podcast. Hi, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I have an anthology coming out called Moms Don't Have Time 2, a quarantine anthology. And it comes out on February 16th and has essays by 60 plus of the authors who have been on this podcast. So first of all, please pre-order this book. I think you will love it. I'm so excited about all the authors who are represented. Um, just to give you a few, um, Chris Bajalian, uh, Jewel Parker Rhodes, Ashley Prentice Norton, Gretchen Rubin, Rima Zaman, Eileen Zimmerman. And that is just from the first page of the multi-page table of contents. So please pick up this book, Moms Don't Have Time To, a quarantine anthology. It's available anywhere you buy books, Amazon, bookshop.org, and your local independent bookstore. So please pick up a copy. And also, I want to invite you listeners to my um, fundraiser slash launch party the night it comes out on February 16th, a Tuesday at 7 p.m., Bookhampton and the Children's Museum of the East End are co-hosting it for me. And 50 of the authors who wrote essays in this book, as well as many of the amazing authors who blurbed this book, um, who wrote little praiseworthy quotes at at the front, will be there. And you can be there too. So if you go to my website, zibbyowens.com, and just click on Anthology and go to Book Tour, you will see um, a whole fundraiser section. And for $50, um, you can attend. You'll get a copy of the book, and you'll get to schmooze on Zoom with all of these amazing authors. This is like going to be the literary happening of February. So please come. I would love to see you all in person on Zoom, I guess, but even see some of your faces. I know so many of you are really loyal listeners, and that makes me really happy. All proceeds of the book and the fundraiser are going to the Susan Felice Owens Program for COVID-19 Vaccine Research at Mount Sinai Health System. And it is named after my husband's mother, who passed away from COVID over the summer, which many of you followed along on Instagram as I uh, recounted that horrific experience. So all the proceeds are going there. The cost includes the price of a book. So thank you for supporting this effort and for supporting my book. I can't wait to see you there. Today's episode has been sponsored by author Joe Piazza's new podcast, Under the Influence. Under the Influence is a deep dive into the mom internet, a place haunted by aspirational marketing where it feels like every other mom is a social media influencer trying to sell you something, all while posed in white kitchens that never seem to get messy with toddlers and cloth diapers that never ever leak, a bastion of carefully curated lives that are hashtag blessed. And behind this airbrushed perfection is money, so much money, billions and billions of dollars, a multi-billion dollar industry we never talk about. 
journalist and mom of two, Joe Piazza, brings a keen reporter's lens to examine how we got here, what it all means, and how the commodification of motherhood is driving normal mothers to the brink. And through it all, she wonders if she should just join the ochre-hued ranks of the momstagrammers, if she too can make thousands of dollars off beautiful photos of bath time, frolicking in fields of purple flowers, and posing her newborn next to a beautiful latte, and if this is the future of content. Check it out. Joe Piazza is under the influence. Hi, everybody. Today is day three of the February Book Blast, and it is Literary Fiction Wednesday. So I hope you enjoy all of these authors and interviews. Sometimes so many collect that I have to just blast out a bunch all at once, and that's what this week is all about. So if you missed Memoir Monday or Nonfiction Tuesday, you can go back and listen to those. And coming up is New Novels Thursday and Family Theme Memoirs Friday. So listen as much as you can. Born in Barbados, Sherry Jones is a brilliant Caribbean writer and lawyer and a mom of four. Her short stories have been published in Pink, Cadenza, Eclectica, The Feminist Wire, and broadcast on BBC Radio 4. She won the Commonwealth Short Story Prize in 1999 and then studied creative writing at Sheffield Hallam in 2015, where she won both the Archie Markham Award and the AM Health Prize. She was awarded a full fellowship from the Vermont Studio Center. In the tradition of Zadie Smith and Marlon James, Sherry's debut novel, How the One-Armed Sister Sweeps Her House, is set in Barbados and depicts four people each desperate to escape their legacy of violence in a so-called paradise. The novel has already been praised by Publishers Weekly and Kirkus Reviews. I loved talking to Sherry about her book and her journey and what she calls flash, well, what, (laughs) I shouldn't say she calls flash fiction, her contributions to flash fiction and also the voices that she hears in her head. Welcome, Sherry. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you, Zibby. It's a real pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Your audio sounds perfect. (laughs) So, Sherry, tell me about, tell listeners, first of all, what your book is about and what inspired you to write it. It's so good. And it feels like a book from almost like another era. Like it should be in the canon that you read in school under like literature because it feels almost, it just feels like a classic book in a way. Anyway, talk about How the One-Armed Sister Sweeps Her House. Thanks so much, Sibby. So How the One-Armed Sister Sweeps Her House is set on a beach in an island a lot like Barbados in the mid-1980s. And it's about the protagonist, her name is Lala, and she's a hair braider. She essentially braids hair for tourists on the beach. And it's about this one summer when her life just changes in unimaginable ways. So without giving out too much of the of the plot, what actually happens. She has a baby, there's a murder on the beach, and it's all about how those two things are connected. Yes. And so by the way, this seems like every parent's, every potential parent's nightmare situation of having a child. I mean, it starts with like, not to be graphic, but it starts with like unexplained bleeding and then waiting in the ER forever and not getting the attention that she needs. And her husband is not there for her at all. And just have, she has to like make her way home. I mean, it's the most unsupported woman going through pregnancy alone that I've like ever read about. 
Yes, and I hope that, I mean, that is reality for a lot of women. And that was the story that came to me about Lala. So I hope that people can understand and appreciate that and just go with her on her journey because I think she does grow a lot through the novel. So in terms of what inspired me to write it, I tend to be inspired by voices without, I mean, I don't know how that sounds, but <laughs> essentially, <I'll, laughs> essentially I will hear a character's voice in my head and they will start telling me parts of the story. And the process of writing is really about getting that down on paper. So the initial process is just trying to understand what I'm hearing and somehow translating that into text that I can work with. And then the editing and the story development is really about getting to the story behind the story. So in this case, I was on a bus home. I was living in the UK at the time and I was very tired after a long day at work. And I just started to hear the voice of this character in my head. And there were a lot of things that we had in common, but as the bus ride continued, it just became clear to me that this was going to be one of, you know, the project that I would work on next. Wait, Sherry, I thought, I thought you actually sat next to this woman on the bus. <laughs> I thought that she was bothering you. So you're saying that was actually just like an analogy. I literally thought you were on the bus on your way home and you sat next yes. to a woman who insisted on telling you her story. No, this is a woman who sat in my head oh my on God. that bus ride. Wow. Yes. The whole time I'm thinking, yes. I wonder if she'll ever read the story and how did that work? Did their paths yes. ever cross again? Okay. Yes. Yeah. It was actually, and, and that happens to me a lot in terms of my short stories and other projects. It tends to come to me as a voice. I just hear parts of the story and then it goes from there. I was also inspired a lot by things that would have happened during the 1980s. I consider that decade when I kind of came into myself as I know me. And there are lots of things that happened then that I was really, you know, inspired by that I wanted to include in the novel. So even the the hair braiders on the beach in Barbados, that's something that was very, very much a feature of beach life in the 1980s. And you hardly see those braiders anymore here. So that was one of the things that inspired me as well. Well, I have to say, I grew up going to Jamaica all the time in the 80s, and that was also part of that life and culture. So I knew exactly what you were talking about. Of course, in the book, I would be, you know, in the house that everybody, like you're supposed to hate the family, right? <laughs> I would be like somebody that Lala would like not want to be dealing with at all. But anyway, that was me. I was like the kid in that house. Oh, okay. Not really. Not, no, nothing terrible happened to me there. <laughs> but anyway, well, but yes, the hair braiding culture and all the amazing things that each life had to offer back then. It was so perfectly encapsulated. It was really cool. And I was, I was really happy to get the opportunity to go back into that that time and space. Yeah. So when's the last voice you heard? Like what? <laughs> are you, are you hearing well, any thing... voices right now? <laughs> Not right now, Zubi, no. <laughs> <laughs> Not at this moment. But really what happened with Lala was, you know, I actually found this story quite difficult to write. It started off as a short story. So there was the initial process of writing it out. It didn't start to become a novel until I'd say about 2013, 2014, somewhere around there. But strangely enough, about three years in, I just stopped 
hearing Lala anymore. It was as if, you know, she she basically told me everything that she needed to say. And there on in, it really was about crafting the story, trying to get to all the other things that, that she didn't say. You know, the thing I, I like to say sometimes that the characters who talk a lot don't always tell the whole truth. So part of my job then is trying to find out what the rest of it is and then just crafting that into what the real story is. So that was that was what that was like. It's almost like you're the therapist of your characters, right? Because it's like someone coming into therapy and they tell you their story, but you have to figure out what they're not saying to get the whole truth. Yes, exactly. It, it really is a lot like that. It really is a lot like that. Yes. So you're like the therapist for the invisible characters. It's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? Well, I'm glad you think it. I, I'm glad you think it's cool. I mean, other people <laughs> might have other words for it. So it's great to know that you, you know, you you understand where I'm coming from. No, but yes. I think it's great. Look, I mean, <laughs> writing fiction is an art. It comes from a place of the mind that nobody can totally explain. And the more people I talk to about it to try to unlock the mystery of how do you write fiction? There's no clear answer. It just comes. It can be in a dream. It can come in a voice. It just somehow gets into your mind and then gets on the paper and it's like magic. So I don't think any explanation is weird. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so that, that is that is really what the process was like for me. And did any, I mean, there was a lot of painful emotion and situations that rose up in this book. I mean, this was... It, parts of it were tough. I mean, it was emotional to read it. Did you have to pull at all from your own life? Like, did you have any of this trauma in your own experience at all? Or was this all from the voice in the bus? Yes. I, I One of the things I would have mentioned earlier that Lala and I did have some things in common. So domestic violence or being a survivor of domestic violence is one of them. So I was able to draw certainly on some of the information about Lala's psychological state and process it was perhaps a little easier for me to write because I would have identified with some of it. The actual experiences of violence are not mine, but that aside, there were a lot of similarities and not just me, but just from ob observing and listening to other women that I know. So um, yes, that did inform the the narrative. Yes, it did. I'm so sorry. How did you get out of that situation? You know, the thing about that situation, that's one of the things that people can try as hard as they can to help you, but something internal has to happen first. For a lot of women, it has to do with the welfare of the children who are involved. So for many women, they won't leave or seek to change the circumstance, even if they're suffering quite a bit, but they will try to change it because of a child. And that's consistent with some of the trauma and the psychological impact that violence has. So yes, I think it's something internal that happens. I can't say that, I mean, it's helped by external circumstances. It's helped by a desire to do do better or give better to your children. And certainly for me, that was a very big part of it. I think what's also important for people to realize is that, you know, it's often not a situation of just getting up one day and deciding, okay, this is a day to leave, or this is going to be the end of it. 
And then that's the end of it. It's often a cycle of running and returning, running and returning. And that makes it even harder for people who are external to the situation to understand. So I'd say it's something internal. It usually, in my case, for sure, it was a desire to do better for my children and eventually myself. So that's what it was. Well, it's also another layer of difficulty. Even if the children are the driving force to getting to a better place, you still share children with the person who's committing the offense and you can never really extricate yourself 100% when you share the most precious thing in both of your lives. So, yeah. So that, yes. And that's a very difficult situation. Have you ever written about your experience like in your own voice? Like not one of the characters' voices? No, you're not interested? No, I think that's one of the things that made it especially hard to write this book because mentally there had to be that separation between whatever I might have gone through or experienced and the story I was trying to tell. So even in terms of being able to try to explore and understand the lives of some of the other characters, like Aiden, for example, or even tone, that required a very big step outside of myself. So, you know, it having had those experiences made it easier to write in one sense and then made it quite a bit harder in another. Wow. Well, I'm glad you could use your experience to inform this particular voice and share because being able to extricate is, as you mentioned, you know, close to impossible for so many people. And seeing this up close in fiction might be the way to get through to others. And that might be the way the story sinks in, which is so important. I I really do hope so. Somebody asked me recently, you know, who's your ideal reader? Who's who's reading the book? You know, who would you want to read the book? And I thought about it for a bit because I couldn't say that I had written this story with a specific person in mind or a type of person. But I think when I when I was asked the question, I thought, well, maybe there's somebody who's going through experiences like Lala's. And, you know, I really hope that at least one person like that will pick it up and read it. It's amazing. So yes, but it's for everybody. I'm divorced. I'm remarried now, but I have four kids with my previous husband. And I wrote an essay, not a book recently, but in terms of like having someone in mind, there was this woman I met shortly after I got divorced who I was like, you know, on a beach vacation with my new boyfriend who became my husband. And we were like all in love and happy back then. Not that we're not, but you know, now we're like married. So anyway, it was like right in the beginning and she was there with her kids and all like bedraggled and her like loser husband was like not paying any attention to her. And she just looked at me and she goes, oh, what I wouldn't give to have that. And I was like, no, no, I just got this. <laughs> like, like this, this I, I was you yes. like a year ago. Not exactly, of course, you know. So whenever I write about that or I try at all, I think about that one woman and wonder, you know, I'm sure she didn't even remember that moment. But anyway, so, but of course there's no ideal reader for anything. You just hope that like somebody, somebody's life improves and all we can, I don't know, I sort of feel like, all you can do from the pain in the past is sort of help somebody in the present, right? Yes, yes, exactly. So I really do hope that somebody reads it and gets that type of value from it. Yes. So are you working on any new projects? Are you have more? Do you have more books 
coming out soon? <laughs> I certainly hope so. Currently, I'm working on a collection of flash fiction. It's so interesting because while I was doing my master's in the, in the UK, I had a pretty bad case of writer's block. And a classmate suggested that I try flash fiction just as a way to get out of it and to get back into the projects that I was assigned to do. And I started writing flash and just fell in love with it. My flash stories tend to be a lot more, let's say, surreal. But I'm working on a collection right now. I'm also working on a new novel that's set on a cocoa plantation in Trinidad, mid 19th century. So that is requiring a lot of research. I'm really enjoying it, but that's in very early stages. And I I am going to sound really stupid now, but what is flash fiction? <laughs> flash fiction, people call it, you know, by different names. And no, you don't sound stupid at all. When it was first, when my friend first suggested it, I thought, well, what's that? What are you talking about? So I think a lot of people maybe don't don't know a lot about it. But it's also called microfiction, and it's essentially a much smaller word space in which to write a full story. So the, the, a full story has to be developed in a smaller space. So it tends to be 300 words or less for a full story, one full wow. story. But, you know, other people have different sort of word limits, but it's a very short, short story. That's, I think that's a good way to describe it. Wow, that's tough. A whole story in 300 words. All right. Actually, that's kind of what Instagram is all about, right? It's like a little post. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Turns yes, out I'm yes. a flash story author. I didn't even know it. <laughs> Who knew? Who right? knew? This is great. I'm going to put it in my bio. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, so it's that's that's really what it is. And it, it's really challenging to try to develop and execute a full story within a, a smaller space. So a lot of it is about distillation. It's about not only what you say, but what's not said and so on. I really enjoy it. Wow, that's great. Do you have any advice to aspiring authors? My advice to aspiring authors would be, one, read a lot, read as much as you can, read as widely as you can. And then I would essentially say, just keep working and keep developing your craft. And if it's an aspiring author who wants to be published in the traditional way, then I would just say everybody's journey is different and just accept and appreciate your journey is yours and just keep at, at it. If, um, if you're meant to be writing, you're going to write whatever the circumstances. So whether you're published or not published, whether people understand your voice and your perspective at any particular point in time is not going to stop you from writing. But the point is just to keep getting better and developing as you go along. That's what I'd say. Excellent. And to listen, and to listen for the voices that you might hear. <laughs> yes, and to listen for the voices if that's your process. I know that's that's not the same for everybody, but it certainly is for me. So. Okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Sherry. Thanks for coming on. Moms don't have time to read books. Thanks for your fantastic novel. I can't wait to read your flash fiction. <laughs> and yeah, best of luck with everything. And thanks for dealing with all my interruptions here. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's absolutely no problem. I understand totally. I have four kids of my own and I know how hectic it can get. So thank you. Thank okay. you for having me. All right. Thanks so much. <laughs> okay. Take, take care. care. Bye-bye. 
Today's podcast has been sponsored by Under the Influence, a new podcast by author Joe Piazza. And just a reminder again, please pre-order a copy of my book, Moms Don't Have Time To, a quarantine anthology, and go to my website under the anthology tab for the fundraiser, and I hope you'll buy a ticket and join me for, and I should have mentioned, um, all proceeds go to COVID-19 research. So please join me for the fundraiser. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time To Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. <laughs>